Good morning, Journey. How y'all doing? You good? Good. How many of you are excited that winter finally came? Anybody? Okay. I'll remind you of that in June. We continue our series today called Puzzled, putting the pieces of your relationships back together. Uh, We are going to be talking about humility today, and we have been circling around this verse these verses found in Colossians, Colossians 3, 12 through 15. I'm going to read up to the point where we stop today. So it says this, since God chose you to be holy people he loves, you must clothe yourselves. Got to put on really nice clothes, okay? With tender-hearted mercy, kindness, humility. We'll stop there. Super Bowl 50 wasn't that long ago. And the Broncos have not been to the playoffs since. We're going to talk about humility today, okay? And we've got this great story that we want to engage with. These two colorful characters, James and John. And their story is in Mark chapter 10. 35 through 45, in your outline you've just got 42 through 45, but we will have the words up here, or you can follow along as we look about this story that teaches us about pride, arrogance, and humility. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, they said this to Jesus, we want you to do us a favor. What is your request, he asked, They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in the places of honor next to you, one on your right and the other on your left. But Jesus said to them, you don't know what you are asking. Are you able to drink from the bitter cup of suffering I'm about to drink? Are you able to be baptized with the baptism of suffering I must be baptized with? Oh yes, they replied, we are able. Then Jesus told them, you indeed will drink from my bitter cup and be baptized with my baptism of suffering. But I have no right to say who will sit on my right or my left. God has prepared those places for the ones he has chosen. And when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. So Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers in this world lord it over their people and the officials flaunt their authority over those under them. But among you, It will be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, I pray that you would allow us to hear your voice this morning, to lean into areas of arrogance and pride within our hearts, and that we would lean into uh, the gift of humility that you have given to us, that you have shown to us, modeled for us. Pray, God, we would be open to what you have to say. And we ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. I can already see this is going to be problematic for some of you, so I'm going to help you all because I'm thinking of you. That's what we're going to talk about this morning, thinking of others better than yourselves. And I can tell from a couple of the scowls and the Chiefs and 49ers jerseys, this <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right. We want to talk this morning about James and John, two brothers, the brothers of Zebedee, in this little story about their interaction with Jesus. And we got to ask this question as we begin this morning Who are James and John? Who are James and John? In Mark chapter three, Jesus gives them a nickname. And the nickname is this, the sons of thunder. So if you can imagine, they were meek and they were mild. They were very quiet and mostly introverted. And no, 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 that's not true, right? They were the sons of thunder. They were bold. They were brash. They were big personalities, and, and they came in like a storm. Before uh, we had our own kiddos, um, we were house parents for a, uh, a young man uh, who had Down syndrome, and he had all these funny jokes, but one of his best jokes was he'd come upstairs some mornings, and he would go, hey, Brian, here's the lightning, here's the thunder, and here comes the storm. And I'd be like, okay, Patrick, I'm backing up, man. I mean, that's who these guys were. They were the sons of thunder. They were fishermen from Galilee, so they were the working class. They were fiery, bold, and outspoken. To give you a sense of who they were, there's this great story that they're in, around the town of Samaria. And Jesus says, hey, go into the town of Samaria. We need to stay the night there. See if anybody will allow us to come and stay in Samaria. So they go down into Samaria, and nobody wants to allow them to stay with them in Samaria. So they come back to Jesus, and they kind of look around the surrounding area, and off in the distance, they see Mount Carmel. And on Mount Carmel, uh, there was this amazing scene in the Old Testament where Elijah the prophet called down fire from heaven, and it consumed the altar uh, of, of Elijah, and then they killed all the prophets of Baal, right? And so they see Mount Carmel off in the distance, and they say to Jesus, since nobody's being hospitable to them. They say, hey, Jesus, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on these Samaritans? Okay. So that Jesus is like, ah, I came for love and to save people. So like, I don't, I don't know, man. Right. These, that's these guys. They're also part of Jesus inner circle, which is really interesting. They're there at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus comes into his glory and is glorified on top of a mountain. When Jesus is in his last days, right before he's arrested on the Mount of Olives, Jesus takes those two and Peter and he says, hey, you guys come with me a little closer than the rest 
of the disciples. They were, they were three of his beloved disciples, and John in particular we know as the beloved disciple. And yet they are the sons of thunder. You know anybody who's the son of thunder? Right? Okay, there was a no nudging clause next week, but you can do it right now. Do you know anybody who's the son of thunder? You're like, I'm married to them, right? Okay? Or you're like, um, I'm looking at him. He's on the screen and, uh, and he's loud and he, he like yelled at husbands last week. And so, um, yep. Yep, that's, that's, that's fair, that's fair. Uh, I heard Teddy Roosevelt said, uh, walk quietly, right? And carry a large stick. And I just walk really loud, that's what I do. So, um, but here's the thing. This week I was thinking about this. Is, is this just a sermon for, for big personalities? Maybe humility is something that just people with big personalities who are big and brash and, and who like have a big sense of presence, maybe that's just our issue. So, so maybe the rest of you can just tune out for the rest of the morning and if you, if you identify yourself as a big personality, you can lean in a little bit because you have struggles with humility and none of the rest of us have struggles with humility. But I don't think that's true. I actually think that this is something that we all struggle with. I think it's something we all need to lean in on. I think in some ways we can all be like James and John. So let's take a moment to look at this story to help us see uh, what's really going on here. Two aspects I want to talk about, about their request. So they say something simple to Jesus. They say, hey, we want to sit at your right and your left hand when you come into your kingdom. And the first thing this reveals about James and John is that it reveals their pride. It reveals their arrogance. They are thinking about nobody but themselves. They want to sit at the right hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom They want to be in power. They want to rule with him. And they're not thinking about Jesus. And they're not thinking about the other disciples. It just reveals this deep sense of arrogance and pride in their lives. But I think this is trickier for us than it was even in that moment. Because arrogance and pride, it's just simply a sense of superiority over others. It's that you think you know better than somebody else. And you don't have to be a big personality to do that. In fact, you can be a very quiet personality who just lives your life thinking, I know better than them, and I know better than them. And maybe you never open your mouth about it, but there's this arrogance, there's this pride within your heart that you would say, I just know better than everybody else, and if everybody else would just see it my way, we'd have a better world. And what that reveals about our hearts is the same thing it reveals about their hearts, that we struggle with pride. We struggle with arrogance. C.S. Lewis, a phenomenal theologian, said it this way. Make no mistake about it. Pride is the great sin. It is the devil's most effective and destructive tool. That's a huge statement from C.S. Lewis. It's the great Sin. The reason C.S. Lewis believes that is it's because it's the root of all other sins. Think about how the story goes. God creates Adam and Eve in perfection, in relationship with him, in the garden. And one day they're walking in the garden and a serpent shows up and starts whispering in their ear. 
And what he appeals to in them is their pride and their arrogance. It's the root of the first human sin, right? He says to Eve, he says, hey, did God really say that you can eat from all these other trees but not this certain tree? Don't don't you know that, that when you eat from that tree, you're going to be just like God? Do you hear what he's saying? He's appealing to her arrogance. He's appealing to their arrogance and their pride. He's saying, listen, God doesn't know what's best. You can know what's best. And all you need to do is eat from this tree and then you'll know just as much as God knows. You'll be just like God. There's this, this incessant lie of the liar. And, and I don't think it's that far from us. I think we're just like our first mother and father, Adam and Eve, who believed that lie, who said we, we can do a better job than God. It's the sermon of our culture today. It really is. If you walk out into this world, this is what you're going to hear. In fact, you'll hear it in a song. You should go and love yourself, right? You've heard this one, right? You should, you should, you should. And, and some of you would like, want to even push back on me right now. You're like, well, I should love myself. I don't love myself enough. And, and I struggle with this. And like, are you telling me I shouldn't love myself? And I'm saying, listen, that's the sermon that culture is preaching to you. That's not the sermon that Jesus is preaching to you. That is the sermon that culture is preaching to you today. The big word for it is humanism. And, and man, if you only know Jesus as a cuss word, awesome. I'm so glad you're here. Like he's coming to get you. He's after you. That's why you're here. Even though you're like, oh, I don't like this, right? But, but I want to lean in on you and the rest of us because I, I think this creeps into the church even, this idea of humanism. And humanism goes something like this. If we can just think better, if we can just rise above, then we can figure this all out. If we just got the right government or if we just got the right president or if the world just all held hands saying kumbaya and loved each other, we could fix it. And guess what? It hasn't worked yet. And it doesn't seem like it's gonna work anytime soon. So this lie about humanism, it's, it's rooted in our pride. It's saying, you got it, you can fix it, you can do it. It's all about you, 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 you. And that's what James and John fell into. They said, this is about us. We wanna sit at God's right hand and left hand. We want the authority, we want the power, we wanna go and love ourselves. And it was a lie. But what is revealed in these moments is that we are prideful and arrogant people. And what that always, always, always leads to is the second aspect of this conversation. It fractures relationships. It always fractures relationships. So James and John say this to Jesus in front of the 10 other disciples. And the 10 other disciples react exactly how you think they would, right? They get mad about it. They're angry that James and John would assume that they could sit at the right and the left hand of Jesus when he comes into his kingdom. You can almost imagine the conversation. 
Peter's like, hey, 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 I walked on water, dude. If anybody gets to sit at Jesus' right hand, it's the guy who walked on water for a moment or two, right? That's the guy. You can, you can hear the disciples saying, having this dispute among themselves and what, what ends up happening, right? In, even in that moment, they're not mad because Jesus is gonna give James and John that position. They're mad that they didn't ask first, right? Like that's what they get mad about. They're all thinking to themselves, man, if anybody should get to sit next to Jesus, it should be me. And this is what happens. Arrogance and pride always leads to arrogance and pride. It always, always, always fractures relationships. And this is what it does in our relationships. One person says, I want things my way. And the other person says, well, really, I'd like things my way. And then the other person says, yeah, but I would like my things my way. And then the other person says, yeah, well, I would like the things my way. And eventually somebody says, you know what? I want things my way so much so that I need you to sign these papers. This is how this works. Like, I leaned in this morning, and I'm going to lean in on this a little bit, okay? Most of us have been affected by divorce. And there's a variety of reasons people go through divorce. Um, it's, it's super hard, super destructive, right? Often, not always, but often, what happens in divorce is that one person says, I want what I want, and the other person says, I want what I want. And eventually it gets so bad that they say, guess what, you can go have what you want, and then I'm gonna go have what I want. Not all the time, I wanna be sensitive about this. I know that you have walked, some of you walked through this and it's affected you in major, major ways, but, but this is something that plays itself out in our culture, in our lives, and the, the pieces of the puzzle are fractured and you just, you just need to look around for a second and realize that pride and arrogance, it always leads to more pride and arrogance. It always, always hurts us. It always, always fractures us. And it never makes us more like Jesus. And so what do we do? If, if, we be, if we're honest and we just say, yep, I have this in my heart, I have this pride and, and arrogance and it does fracture my relationships. What do we do with that? I wanna take the rest of our time together just to talk about the simple word, humility. This is how Jesus responds to their request. He responds with humility. He shares with them a message of humility, of not being above, but being below. Not of being in charge, but instead being a servant. Jesus says, take the humble way, the low way. He says, the world deals with things this way, but for you, it will be different. For us as followers of Jesus, we must be different. We must live for humility. C.S. Lewis once again says it this way. Humility is not thinking less of oneself. Rather, it is thinking of oneself 
less. I love that. Humility is not thinking less of oneself. Oh, poor me. I don't have what it takes. It's not that kind of thinking. What it is is this kind of thinking. It's just thinking of yourself less or thinking of the other more. As another great theologian, Tim McGraw said, um, Always stay humble and kind. Humility is simply this, thinking of others more than you think of yourselves. Humility looks beyond oneself. This is what Jesus came to model for us. This is what Jesus personified for us. In, In a little bit, we're going to gather around the feast of the Lamb. We're going to gather around communion. And this symbolically is Jesus' body and blood broken for you because he humbled himself so much that he clothed himself in flesh. And then he even humbled himself more so that he would die a sinner's death on a cross so that you and I would be set free. That's what we're going to uh, celebrate in a little bit here. And Jesus modeled this at every single turn. The way of Jesus is the humble way. The way of Jesus is looking out for others rather than you think of yourselves. We are called to be just like him, different than the rest of the world. In a world that says we're going to lord our authority. We're going to be in charge. We're going to rule over people. Jesus would say take the low way. Take the humble way. Think of others more than you think of yourselves. Humble yourselves. So what does this look like practically? Right? What does thinking of others more than we think of ourselves look like for us? I want to give you some practical practical thoughts that you can live out this week. First, I, I think some of us need to reorder our lives. We need to reorder our lives. So here's what I mean. I think if we're really honest, we think that we know what we need more than anything else we think about. Like, I think we think about us a lot. Anybody else going to be honest in here and say, I think about myself a lot? Can, I'll raise my hand first. Anybody else want to be brave with me and say, I think about myself a lot? Raise them up really high. Look it, because it's all of us, okay? Okay, put them down. If you didn't raise your hand, raise your hand. That's a liar. Okay, just kidding. Okay, sorry. I'm, I'm just, just wanted to give you a picture of what lying looks like. Okay. <laughs> like, this is, what, this is what we do, right? I mean, I've joked about this before. For some reason, you don't have to, you have to teach kids how to share, You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. They pop out with that already ingrained. They just know how to do it. Like they just know how to be selfish. We have to teach them to share. We have to teach them to be kind. We have to teach them to be nice. They just figure out the rest on their own. It's crazy, right? And we're just like it. We just get a little older and a little little what we think wiser, right? But the reality is we often think about ourselves as the number one spot. And what I would say is we need to reorder that. And here's how we should reorder that. It's based off of Jesus' teachings. We should say instead of ourself first, we should say Jesus first. We should say Jesus first. 
If you thought more about what Jesus actually would want you to do in every single situation, you would be reordering your life to be more like Jesus. You would open yourself up to actually being humble, right? If you said, I'm gonna consider what God would want in every conversation, in every interaction, in every single relationship. I'm gonna seek after Jesus first before my own thoughts. I'm gonna put those away and maybe they'll line up with Jesus and maybe they won't, but I'm gonna listen for the voice of God. I'm gonna study his word. I'm gonna see what God has to say about this. I'm gonna put him at the very, very top of my list. And then you would say, okay, and then second, what should we do? And that's where I think we all wanna go, then, then it's me, right? No, it's not, okay? then it's others. It's others. Number one is Jesus. Number two is others. Jesus said this, you can sum up all the law and all the prophets with just two statements. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. I've heard this twisted even in church where people will say things like this. Well, you need to love yourself first so you can love others better. And I wanna challenge that this morning. I think Jesus actually assumes that you love yourself. I think he does. He just says, you should love God and you should love others just like you love yourself because he's assuming that you love yourself. And some of you would wanna push back on me, right? You'd say, no, 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 listen, Brian, I don't love myself And it hinders me from loving God and it hinders me from loving others. Can I just push back on that idea a second? We live in the self-help age. There are more DVDs, books, YouTube channels. There are more self-help things than than we've ever had before. And guess what? We're way more depressed than we've ever been. Suicide is, is raising at an alarming rate. Overdoses of drugs and alcohol are rising at an alarming rate. Apparently having all the self-help knowledge in the world is not helping. It's hurting. And I want you to consider this. I'm gonna push on you a little bit. I want you to consider this. Maybe you don't need to love yourself more. Maybe you need to hear the voice of the one who loves you and created you. The one who is perfect And he is your father and you are his child. Maybe that's the voice you needed to hear. And if God was actually first and you believed everything that he said about who you are, you wouldn't have to love yourself because the creator of the universe pours out his love on you. And that's better than you loving yourself any day of the week. And then, and then you go love others. And be surprised by the fact that you're not actually thinking about your own problems as much anymore because it's given you perspective. You've waded into other people's lives. You've invested in their lives and suddenly you go, man, like the things in my life, yeah, they still hurt, but like they they hurt in a different way. Maybe they don't even hurt as, as much. How many, I've heard so many stories of mission trips where folks will go to a third world country, they'll spend a couple weeks there with people who have nothing and they'll come back and they'll be so much more grateful for their life. Why? Because they've invested in others. 
love God, love others, and you come third. Reorder your lives. Next, practical piece of humility. Listen for understanding. I think we need this so bad right now in our culture. I think we look at people who are different than us and we think we have nothing to learn. At least that's what I see on social media. We yell and we scream and we get all political and crazy and I defriend you so fast. I'm just like, some of you got defriended already this year. I'm sorry. You don't even know. It's okay. <laughs> you had like a thousand friends. Woo. Okay. Anyway, um, like, because we need to be those who listen for understanding. Here's what happens. Let me give you the context of this. Jesus has just said to them this. He's about to describe everything that was happening. This is in uh, chapter 10, verse 33. He says to them, listen. And he says, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of the law. They will sentence him over to die, hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. And after three days, he will rise again. So Jesus says that, turn the page and James and John go, hey, hey, can I sit at your right and left hand, Jesus? Like, can you, What? Right? Do you hear this? Like Jesus says, listen, I'm about to get spit on, flogged, murdered. And they're like, yeah, 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 yeah. But when you are king, can we sit on your right and on your left? They've missed the point because they didn't listen. Jesus even said to them, listen, and they didn't listen. We need to be people who listen. We need people who listen for understanding. You hold views because you believe them to be true. And so do other people. And you have something to learn from them. That doesn't mean you need to change your view. I have this conversation all the time with people, honestly, right? Like, I, I, I love and respect their view. I, I love and respect the fact that they don't, they don't really believe in this Jesus guy. And I'm like, great, we can, we can, I can still learn from you. But listen, I'm all in on Jesus. Like, I believe in Jesus. I've given my life to Jesus. I can still love you, listen to you, learn from you. And I can still hold to my convictions. We need to be those who listen for understanding because you might miss the point. And you've got something to learn from everyone. So people who are prideful and arrogant, they don't have anything to learn from anybody because they know it all. People who are humble, listen for understanding and grow. Two more pieces. One, start small. Start small. Okay, Kindness Week last week. Anybody engaged in Kindness Week? A few of us? Okay, cool, awesome. We had such a fun week at our house. It was Kindness Week. It ended last night with like the best date I've had since like a college when I was courting Lori. Like honestly, I was, we had the best date. It was so, so fun. And it all spurred out of like one little act of kindness after the next. It just started small. Like at the beginning of the week last week, I'm like, okay, I'm going to say nice things. I'm going to be encouraging. I'm going to be grateful and thank her for all that she does. And, and then it, it led into conversations and then it led into going out on date night. And we just had a really full week and it really, really started small. It did. Like, like what would it look like for you to start small and being humble? What would it look like for you to just say today? I'm gonna try to listen for the voice of God more than my own voice just today. 
like I'm gonna try to consider in every situation today, like what would God want for me in this moment? Where's God leading me in this moment? Maybe it, for you, it's, it's listening a little bit better. You say, hey, I'm just, I'm just gonna engage and listen in this relationship. I'm gonna listen for understanding. I'm just gonna do it one conversation at a time. I'm gonna start small. Or maybe one of the ways to start small is our last thought. Maybe you start small by serving. You start small by serving. Jesus said it this way in the passage. He said, for even the son of man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. You're more like Jesus when you serve. You're more like God when you serve. I've said this before. You're never more like God than when you give, right? You're never more like God than when you serve. The son of man came to serve, not to be served. Like we have these chair setup team that comes every um, Sunday morning and I just love them. They come and nobody knows. They set up all the chairs in here and they just, they just help and help and help. And, and one, one time one of the guys said to me, I was, help, I was helping set up chairs and he said to me, no, 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 Brian, go, like, go get your sermon ready or pray or something. Like, we don't, we don't want to bother the talent. And I was like, please, Jesus, don't ever say that again, okay? Like, please, okay? Uh, like, get your hands dirty. If you think there's something below you, that's what you should do. If you think you're too good to do something in your business, you should go do that thing you're too good for and see what it does to your heart. If you think you're too good for doing that thing of service, that act of service in your marriage, you should do that thing and it will change your heart. If you think you've risen above and others live to serve you, well, you're not like Jesus because you're called to be different. You're called to serve, not to be served. And so... Here's your puzzled next step. Commit to finding one way to serve somebody in February. I gave you lots of time, okay? It's February 2 today. There's nothing in February. It's my least favorite month of the whole doggone year because Super Bowl gets done today and I got no more football to watch, okay? And like, it's just kind of boring. There's like Valentine's Day, which is barely a holiday, okay? And so... You should love your, love your wife every day. That's my point, okay? Not just one day a year. Ooh, I get... Anyway, all right, okay. You got time for that. All right. You got the whole month, and I want you to commit to serve. Commit to serve. Serve in your home. Find a way to serve somebody in your home. Find a way to serve at work. Find a way to serve your kids and love your kids. Find a way to serve around here, Michelle Quigley is amazing, and I'm so glad to have her on the team. And she would love to talk to you after this gathering, right out these doors to say, hey, we need people who can welcome, right? People shoveled that walk for you today. They did, because they knew you were coming. People set up these chairs this morning for you, because they knew you were coming. People are down there in base camp, because they knew that you needed a break from your kids, okay? So find one way to serve because that's what Jesus did 
You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, Philippians 2. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. He clothed himself in humility. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus came and gave his life as a ransom for many. Shortly before his death, he got with the disciples and he celebrated a Passover meal. He said, take this bread, it's, it's my body broken for you, and, and take this drink, it's my blood poured out for you. But before he said that, he, he took this towel and he wrapped it around himself. And it wasn't just because he needed to use it to dry off the feet, it's because he took on the form of a slave, of a servant. He humbled himself for you and for me. And that's what we celebrate in this meal. So as we participate, let this be your first step toward humility. That you would come, that you would partake of this meal, and that you would remember what Jesus has done. Heavenly Father, Thank you that you showed us, you showed us what love is, you showed us what grace is, you showed us what humility looks like. Thank you, God, there was, that there was nothing too low for you. Thank you, God, that we're not too low for you. God, we're so far from you, and yet you bent low to us. You've accepted us as your own. You see us as pure and spotless. And we don't deserve that, God. And we're humbled by that. We're humbled by your love. We're humbled by the cross. And it's humbly we come before you in this meal to remember all that you have done. We ask this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net. Thanks.